If you've ever thought becoming a Christian would make life easier, I'm sorry to say that you'd be wrong. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you definitely know this is true. Following Jesus doesn't necessarily make life easier, but it absolutely makes us better at life. Well, today, Chris is walking us through James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, and showing us how to thrive during times of struggle. Here's Chris. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Hey, um, before we jump into the, uh, the scripture and the teaching for today, just want to give you guys a little bit of update on bridging the gap. Uh, we did, if you're new with us, we did a kind of a, a vision and uh, action campaign back in March and April called Bridging the Gap. And we had four bridges that we were going to build, uh, and two of them involved the building across the street, and we have been working diligently in the background getting ready to begin that project. Uh, and I just wanted to let you know over the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin uh, some construction work over there. That project is, is, has been moving ahead. It's just been kind of in the background, but we are gonna be, uh, we're going to begin to transform that building almost completely. And so uh, just be aware of that, be praying for that. If you know anything about construction, it is, is fraught with, uh, with changes and everything else. And so please be praying for that as we prepare to do that. And uh, we believe that God is gonna do some amazing things both on on Sunday mornings and throughout the weeks over across the street. Uh, I love the fact that we are a church that is not just about sitting around and talking about things. We do that and we grow and we let God's spirit and his word change our lives and that's an important part of what we do. But we are also about changing the world and having God change the world through us and this is a big part of that. So thank you for everybody who's making that possible and your faithful giving and all of that. But I thought you'd be encouraged to know that things are, are rolling. So and we'll have more announcements coming that's gonna impact some things in the weeks to come. All right. Okay. Well, we are in James. If you're new with us, the book of James uh, is a phenomenal book. It was uh, the first uh, letter to the churches written within probably 10 years, 12 maybe, of when Jesus was here. Uh, written primarily to a Jewish audience, and we have been in it for 16 weeks. It's five chapters. It would take you 10 minutes to read. We have been studying it for 16 weeks, and we still have a couple weeks to go. Uh, if you are a regular with us, open up to James chapter 5. Just tell your Bible what to do. It will do that. It knows how to go there by now. Uh, for the rest of us, if you're new with us, James is in the back of the book. If you go back to Revelation at the very last book in the Bible and then flip over a couple pages, you'll hit James. And we are going to be in 5, 7, through 12. One of the challenges of, of doing a book study the way we're doing a book study is whatever you get is what you got, right? You know, you ever read one of those passages in the Bible and you're like, well, what am I going to do with that? Or man, that's really hard. Well, this is a heavy passage. Um, and uh, before we jump in, I want to pray and invite the Lord to do what only he can do in our hearts as we listen to his word. So let's, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you, uh, would you just come and fill us? Lord, would you speak to our hearts through your word? I pray, Lord, for, uh, for the, the folks that are in a place where, where life is hard right now, Lord, that you would bring them great comfort today. Uh, and I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would help us to learn the lessons that uh, James so beautifully lays out, uh, to apply them to our lives and to live different because of them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, James 5, 7 through 12. I'm going to jump right in because we've got a lot of ground to cover today. So here we go. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. 
See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. And you're like, how does all that fit together? There's a lot packed in here, as Mike said earlier on. By the way, when Mike comes out and says something like that, that's a ton of pressure. So I, I, <laughs> I'm going to do my best, but thanks, man. I appreciate that. All right, so here we go. Let's, I'm just going to break this down verse by verse or part by part the way we normally do. And trust me, there's a lot here. So let's open our hearts. Be patient then, brothers and sister, or sisters, until the Lord's coming. Uh, the early Christians, these Christians that were the followers of Jesus, not long after, well, some of them were when he was here and then not long after he left, they had a hard life. They were waiting for Jesus to come back. They, Jesus said, I'll be back. Um, they didn't know when. Many of them thought it would be within a week. Some thought years, some thought decades. Nobody was really thinking beyond their lifetime. They wanted Jesus to come back because things were difficult. The religious leaders, the Roman rulers, all wanted to wipe out this new Jesus thing. And so they were persecuted, they were um, jailed, they were executed, they were scattered, they had been run out of Jerusalem and, and scattered all, so they've lost their businesses, they've lost their property, they lost everything, they are suffering for the name of Jesus. And, and, and so they're like, when's Jesus coming back? When's he coming back? This is the question that they're asking. Now, when we're waiting for something, it's really easy to get discouraged, isn't it? Anybody ever have to wait for something you feel like it was too long? Like when your Amazon package doesn't show up in 36 hours? You know, it's like you're on your app. Where is it? You know, you, you go through the drive-through. I, I have a friend who's in the fast food business, and he was telling me the average drive-through line time is like three and a half to four minutes, and that's too long. I'm like, how long? I mean, how fast does it have to be? You know, I mean, we do not like to wait. We get discouraged. We think something's wrong when we have to wait. But if you add suffering to that, oh, my goodness. Where's God? Something is wrong in the universe. I'm suffering. I have difficulty. Well, these early Christians, that's the environment that they lived in. And they're waiting for Jesus to come back. That's kind of their hope at this point in time. But they're tempted to quit, just like we are when we have to wait, just like we are when we suffer or we have to work hard at something and we're not seeing the fruit of our labor right away. We like immediate feedback, immediate gratification. That's how we roll. It's a human thing, but we have been conditioned with microwaves and McDonald's to want it Right now, if it's not hot and ready, then I'm complaining. You ever go into Little Caesars and they have the hot and ready sign? This is a personal pet peeve. You know, they have the hot and ready sign and, and you go in and they're like, it'll be 15 minutes. It's not hot and ready. What is wrong with Little Caesars? I mean, when's Jesus coming back? Anyway, all right. <clears throat> 
You know, I pray that we never have to suffer the way those first Christians did. I really do. Uh, and we live in the United States of America. We have a constitution and a, a bill of rights that guarantees religious freedom and ex expression. And in our lifetimes, we've never had to suffer that way. Uh, and I pray that we never do, uh, you know, just being persecuted for just being a Christian. Um, but when you look globally at what's gone on and what's going on even today around the world, our brothers and sisters do suffer this way. In fact, over the last 100 to 125 years, more Christians have died just and been killed, martyred, just because they're Christians than the 19 centuries before that all put together, right? This is not something that's foreign to our world. Today, just in the last two months in Azerbaijan, 125,000 Christians have been starved to death, murdered, displaced. It's a genocide, a Christian genocide that's going on, 125,000 Christians, because for no other reason than they are Christians. This is not something that is foreign to our world today. It's foreign to us, but it's not foreign to our world today. Even what we've seen in, uh, in Israel over the last couple of weeks. Make no mistake, those, the, the people who were killed were killed because they were Jews. This is not a territorial dispute. This is a, we want to wipe all Jews from, from the map. Now, it's not Christians, but it's the same. These things happen in our world today. I hope they never happen to us. They, never, they haven't happened in our lifetime. But we do need to be praying for our brothers and sisters, don't we? Because this is real and this is going on. Over the last 125 years, when you look back, I could go on all day on this one because it's just... But, you know, the Soviet Union, communist China, um, Cambodia, Vietnam, around the world, these are countries where Christians were murdered, were hunted down, were put in jail, and, and even today are meeting in secret because it's not safe to be a Christian. So these things are not, um, they're not unusual, and in fact, probably more intense now than they ever have been. But this feels very far away for us because of where we live. And we're very blessed to live where we live. What does happen here, I wouldn't put in the classification of persecution. I, I might put it in the classification of um, discrimination. Like if you're a Christian, um, you're a second-class citizen, on university campuses you're looked down upon or in metropolitan areas or among the political elites. But that's different than what, than what he's talking about. The other thing that happens here is life, right? I mean, hard things happen to good people. Hard things happen to Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean that life is easy. Christianity, and this is point number one, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write some stuff down. This might be one of them. Christianity is not a ticket to the easy life. It's not a ticket to the easy life. Some of us signed on because we thought, oh, well, blessing everywhere and everything's going to go wonderful. Now, if you're not a Christian, it's not a ticket to an easy life either. Like, life has its difficult moments for everyone. So let's just be clear about that. But, you know, you become a Christian, cancer still happens. 
People still die. Accidents happen, depression strikes, kids still go off the rails, and pain and suffering still come. Being a Christian does not exempt you from all of those things. Now, you experience them differently. You walk through them with a, with a spiritual groundedness that enables you to go through those things with peace. It's different, but they still strike our lives. And I will say this. Life does tend to go better when you're a follower of Jesus, and here's why. You got the book. You got the owner's manual. God, the one who designed everything, who knows how life is supposed to work, who designed things that kind of, life works better when you're doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing, which is kind of what the Bible says in so many ways. When, when you know what the owner's manual says and you follow the owner's manual, you apply those principles and those teachings to your life, your life tends to go better. You get better at life and life gets better. But that is not a guarantee that you will not suffer, you will not struggle, you will not have hard things in your life that you have to walk through. That is just reality. Nobody gets off this rock without some suffering. I can't tell you how many people I've heard over the last couple of years go, it's getting rough, can't wait for Jesus to come back. <laughs> like, this is not rough. But, uh, and this is where they were. They were like, when's Jesus coming back? This is getting rough. And so what James does is he points them to the farmer. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So he says, look at the farmer. Farmer has to wait. There's, there's a waiting period for a farmer. In their climate, in their region, they had to wait for the, the spring rain so that it would soften the soil so they could plant. And then they had to wait for the autumn rains, end of summer rains to come and water the crop so it would grow and mature and then they could harvest it. But it was a, you know, it was a six-month process anyway. And in the process, they're waiting for rain, they're waiting for the harvest, they're working hard, they're having to trust that God's going to come through, that everything's going to happen the way it, it should. And at the end... On the other side of all of that, there is a reward waiting. It's called the harvest. And there's a celebration and a banquet and, and a festival, but it's on the other side of the work. It's on the other side of the trust. It's on the other side of the waiting. And so he points us to the farmer and says, this is how we must navigate the hard parts of our lives, the parts where we're having to wait. Which brings me to point number two. The good part is on the other side of the hard part. The good part is on the other side of the hard part. I'm going to say that again because some of you aren't writing that down. This may be the most important thing you learned today. The good part is on the other side of the hard part. This is so important. I tell married couples this all the time. See, we get married, we fall in love, we get the butterflies. So we love, and then we get married, and then you try and merge two independent lives together into one where people have to die to themselves, where they have to learn to serve the other person, where they have to sacrifice for the other person. And if those things don't happen, they eventually grow apart and they fall out of love and they get divorced and walk away. This is why God made marriage a lifelong covenant. 
Because you have to work through, you have to learn to die to yourself. You have to learn to sacrifice. You have to learn to serve. And if you will lean into one another and learn to do all that, the good part is on the other side of the hard part. The warm fuzzies aren't love. It's on the other side of that hard part where you truly learn to love one another. Guys, that's almost everything in life. The good part's on the other side of the hard part, but there's going to be some waiting. There's going to be some work. There's going to be some faith. It's not automatic. You've got to do the work, and you've got to hang in there. But as a culture, we don't like that, do we? We don't like to wait. We think something's wrong when we have to wait. We certainly don't like to struggle, and we definitely don't like to suffer. James is writing to a group of people who are doing all of those things. Let me give you a, uh, just a, a free pastoral tip if you want to win at life. Probably should have made it a point, but then it would be a seven-point sermon, and that's excessive, so I'm, I'm just going to... The capacity for delayed gratification is how you win at life. The capacity for delayed gratification is how you win at life. It is, how you, it is a sign of maturity, and according to James, it's how you win spiritually as well. The capacity for delayed gratification is a sign of maturity, and it is how you win at life, and it is how you win spiritually as well. God hasn't gone anywhere. He is still with you, and he's doing things in you that can't be accomplished any other way. So he says in verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Their hope was pinned on Jesus' return. They thought it should have happened by then. They're getting discouraged. And he is giving them some perspective to help them stand the test of time and the test of of waiting that they're going through. And then in verse 9, he says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged The judge is standing at the door. Point three, or point four if you counted the last one as a point. It goes, don't get grumpy when you're in a season of struggle. Don't get grumpy when you're in a season of struggle. Don't turn on each other. Guys, our propensity when we're suffering, our propensity when we're waiting, our propensity when we're we're when we're persecuted or when we're, is to get frustrated and just start nipping at each other and get grumpy and get judgy and tear into one another. I have the same propensity as you do. This is human nature. And James reminds us as we're waiting, let's wait well. Let's remember the big picture and let's remember what Jesus taught us to do and that's to love one another, not get grumpy with one another. Not get judgy with one another. And that's throughout the, this, this letter. And then in verse 10, he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take the prophets. Now, he's writing to a bunch of Jewish people primarily who lived within hundreds of years of when their prophets lived, who studied the Old Testament and knew their prophets better than we do. That's all we had to say is just take the prophets. What is it about the prophets that we should take? 
See, all, all the, the early Jewish people had was the Torah, which are the first five books of our Bible. And so early on, what God would do is, and, and there was a lot in there, and they, and they, they had kind of the, the, the rules of the road, but they would get off track. And so what God would do is he would send a prophet or a judge to speak his words into the nation to get them back on track because they would start worshiping other gods, the gods of their the, the false gods and the idols of their neighbors and, and so and do things that were detestable. And, and so he would send these prophets in. And they would say, look, you got to stop that. Cut it out. You're going the wrong way. You need to turn around, turn back to God, forsake this, or God is going to bring judgment. Our enemies are going to invade us. We are going to become, we're gonna, you know, it's just not going to go well with us. And you know what? Nobody liked them. They were not, at the time that they lived, everybody was like, what a killjoy. They were not well received. One of the most famous prophets is Jeremiah. He was a prophet and he was a bullfrog. <laughs> Just kidding. And so Jeremiah, around 600, 600 B.C., um, lives in lives in Jerusalem and the, the king is worshiping other gods and, and the Babylonians are threatening and, and the whole country's kind of off the rails and has turned its back on God. And Jeremiah is like, whoa, this has got to stop. You know, it's the same line. Look, repent, turn from your sin, turn from your idols, turn back to God, or he's going to turn us over to the Babylonians, which eventually does happen, by the way. He tells, tells the king and the, the priest, the religious people and the people of town, you know, yeah, you're worshiping God, but you're worshiping in the high places as well. You know, just because you claim God doesn't mean that God's on your side. You've got to get on his side. I'm so glad we don't do that today, right? You know, they don't want to hear it. Well, what they want to hear is, I go to church. And so God's going to bless everything I do. And he's like, you go to church, and you're doing all this other stuff, and God is going to judge you, and the Babylonians are going to take over, and it's going to be bad. And they don't want to hear it. In Jeremiah 20, verse 1, he's saying this, and the, 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 the priest of the temple overhears him. His name's Pashur. It says, when the priest Pashur, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things... He had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Well, that didn't go how he thought it would. He's just trying to help, right? He's letting them know this is what the Lord is saying. These are the, this is a message from God. He's just being faithful to what God told him to do. And now he's suffering for it. He's been beaten, publicly humiliated. He's in stockades at the city gate or the, the temple gate. And this happened a lot with the prophets. You know, when James says, consider the prophets, well, consider the prophets. They did a lot of waiting. They would prophesy that this is what's going to happen, and it wouldn't happen right away. And nobody wanted to hear it in the meantime. And for some of them, their prophecies come true later, after their lives. By verse 7, this is what Jeremiah says to God. You deceived me, Lord. Ever been there? You deceived me, Lord, 
and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. These early Christians, I'm following you, God, and I've lost everything. Where are you? I imagine they had moments like this. It gets even better. Verse 14, this is so intense. He says, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. Cursed be the doctor who delivered me. I wish I was never born. May the man, may that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave. Her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and end my days in shame? You ever been discouraged like that? I love that God said, we're going to print that in the Bible. Because Jeremiah is a hero. Jeremiah was blessed. But Jeremiah had very real emotions and discouragement along the way as well. In chapter 32, he's imprisoned by the king. In chapter 38, there's soldiers that want to kill him. The king's like, well, I can't stop you. They throw him in a cistern. He sinks down in the mud. Have you ever been there? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to go through. I don't know what we're going to go through in the days ahead. I don't have a crystal ball that can say, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and that's going to happen in this timeline. I know the big picture from Scripture, but I don't know the times. But we live in a time where it's violence to speak truth. I'm guessing there's probably some persecution coming our way if we continue to preach Scripture, stand on God's Word, speak the truth even if it's unpopular. Now, we will always do that with love and compassion and the grace that God has given to us, but it doesn't matter. People don't want to hear it. Jeremiah sinks down in the mud. He is discouraged to the point of death. God, I've done it your way, and this is what I get. I lost my job. My marriage fell apart. My kids ran off the rails. My friend died anyway. She broke up with me. I didn't get that thing I was after. God, I've, all I've done is try to love you, and this didn't work out. This is Jeremiah. He's been beaten. He's been put in the stockade. He's been imprisoned by the king. He's thrown in a cistern up to his neck in the mud. God, I trusted you. I did it your way. God, this stinks. And God says, we're going to put that in the Scripture for people 2,000, 3,000 years later to read. 
because they're going to experience similar emotions along the way, and they need to know that it's okay. They need to know how it works out long term. They need to know how to think and navigate life with delayed gratification and how to lean into me in the process. And sometimes that's very real and that's very raw and that's us sharing what is going on inside of us. See, God measured Jeremiah's faithfulness by his obedience, not by his ability to not get discouraged. He got discouraged. You know, we, we think God is faithful to us because things are going well. It's not how God demonstrates his faithfulness to us. He demonstrates his faithfulness to us by being with us and carrying us through. God measures our faithfulness to him by obedience, not the ability to not get discouraged along the way. And the thing about Jeremiah is that he always got up and he kept walking with God. Oh, he had his moments. He had his temper tantrums. So have I. So have you. But he never cursed God. He never turned his back and walked away. He got up and he followed God for 40 years. And it wasn't easy for most of those 40 years. The Jews knew their prophets. They knew what they had been through. They knew they were unpopular in their day, but they were heroes in their day. They knew that God had blessed them. They held on to the word of God despite their circumstances, which is really the point, right? He goes on, verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. Uh-oh, we're going to Job. And have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job lived somewhere around the time of Abraham. And he loved God. He was the wealthiest person in the world at that point, very prosperous and blessed, a huge family. Things were going very well for Job, and Job worshiped God and honored God. And Satan shows up in the courts of heaven before God, and, and I don't know how that works exactly, but it's what it says. And so he, he does, and he shows up before God and he says, what's the deal with Job? And God says, well, Job loves me. Job's my friend. Job's faithful. Satan's like, well, he wouldn't be if he he weren't so blessed, if you weren't so good to him. He wouldn't be. Take all that stuff away and see what happens. And God gives Satan permission to take it all away as kind of a test. And Job loses his kids. He loses his fortune. He loses his health. He ends up with this painful disease lying in the dirt. His wife comes in and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And he doesn't. And she leaves him. And then for the next 29 chapters, Job has these three friends. If you're going to be a friend like this, don't be mine. That come and explain to him every day 
that it was his fault that all this happened. He had sinned against God. He had brought this on himself. He was the problem. For 29 chapters, you just want to wring their necks by the end of it. Because you know the story. You know the bigger picture. It's not what happened. By chapter 30, Job declares this, and now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God became like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. That's not a positive statement. What he's saying there is God's suffocating me. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust, dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Ever been there? God, if this is how you treat your friends, I'm not sure I want to be one. God, I can't do this much longer. God, where are you? God, are you against me? God says, we're going to print that. We're going to put that in the Bible because there's going to be some people who are going to need, need to read that, need to understand that that happens. There are going to be days like this. For the next chapter or so, Job goes on to make his case before God about why he doesn't deserve any of this. He, he says, look, I, I made a covenant with my eyes. I don't, didn't go around gawking at, at women and lusting. I, I'm an honest broker in business. I've never done anybody wrong. I've not pursued women other than my wife. I've treated my servants with justice and have blessed them. I shared with the poor. I've stood up for the oppressed. Help the helpless. God, my hope has been in you the whole time. Not even in the wealth that I've had. It's been in you. And I've never worshipped anybody but you. All I've ever tried to do is love you, God. And this is what I get. Answer me, God! Job endured untold suffering. It seemed to go on and on. But the thing about Job, even after his temper tantrum, even after he makes his case, even after he's very honest about how he's feeling with God, he doesn't sin against God. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't turn his back on God. Which brings me to point number, number four. It's okay to be discouraged and angry. It's okay to be discouraged and angry. Just don't sin in your suffering. I think God would rather us be real and authentic with Him than fake. You know, there's this whole kind of movement in, in Christ, some Christian circles that you just have to have a plastic smile on your face all the time, and oh, God's good all the time, and all the time God is good. And I don't necessarily have a beef with that statement. It's a true statement. It's not a helpful statement a lot of the times. Certainly not how Job responded or Jeremiah. Now, 
James, at the beginning of this book, says, count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. But what James is doing there is he's giving us the perspective that in the midst of our trials, we are being formed, our character is being strengthened, our endurance and perseverance is being formed, and God is going to do something with us, in us, and through us that we wouldn't have been able to do if we hadn't gone through that time. He's not saying put on a plastic smile and pretend like it's not happening. Can I get an amen? Because the next thing James does is he points us to Jeremiah and Job. He gives us the elevated perspective of, oh my, if we can suffer well, oh my, if we can walk through this with the perspective that God is God on the other side of this and the best parts are on the other side of the hard parts, we go through it differently. And we become who God wants us to be in the process. But it doesn't mean we get out of here without any pain or suffering. Ultimately, Job's rewarded with twice what he had before. That's why he says the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James is writing to discouraged Christians. He's writing to people who are questioning, God, where are you? God, when are you coming back? Jesus, when are you coming? They're scattered. They've lost everything. And he says, consider Job. Job brought all of this, all of it, the messy, the ugly, the all the emotions, he brings it to God, but he doesn't bring it against God. He doesn't curse God, he doesn't sin, and he doesn't turn his back on God and walk away. It's so profound. And Job is blessed with a double portion, which brings me to point five. In this life, or the next, the Lord always rewards faithful patience. You could say faithful endurance as well. He rewards it. That's the whole point of what James is saying here. Consider the farmer, the reward, the feast, the celebration, the harvest. It's on the other side of the hard part. He uses this idea that patient perseverance has a reward at the end. That's how God rolls. The lesson being that if we bail early, if we get discouraged because our package hasn't showed up in 36 hours or we're going through a really hard time in our life and we walk away, you don't get the harvest. Don't give up. Don't give in. This is why the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a what? A harvest. If we do not give up, don't give up. Guys, we are tempted to give up when we have to wait. We are tempted to give up when we have to suffer. And we are tempted to give up when we have to work. James says, no, no, no. Don't give up. The good part's on the other side of all of that. And there are good things happening in you as you're going through all of that. And there will be times where it's overwhelming, and there will be times where you're going to cry uncle, and there will be times when you're like, God, just make it stop. But you're on the right track. Don't give up. He's good for it. He's got you. James says, keep your eyes on the prize. God is good. 
God is faithful. He will reward those who follow him. And most important, God is near. He hasn't left you. He is with you. His spirit is still in you. Hang in there. I think the church today, in our country especially, needs a, to rediscover a theology of perseverance. We need to rediscover a theology of suffering and a theology of delayed gratification because we have been caught up in the, the winds of culture when it comes to those things, and that's not how life works. You know, prosperity theology, you know what that is? That's the idea that every, God wants everybody to have a fancy car, a big bank account, health, wealth, and prosperity. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> I mean, these first Christians, I mean, if anybody deserved it, it would have been them, right? That, that, that if there's hard things happening in your life, it's because you're doing something wrong and God's punishing you, kind of like Job's friends. And the problem is you will have difficulties. The problem is it's not going to go perfectly all the time. The problem is there will be seasons of waiting. You're going to be misunderstood. You may even be mistreated. Remember the farmer, a long season of hard work with a big harvest and reward and feast and celebration at the end. But you got to trust God in the process. Got to remain faithful or there is no harvest. Remember the prophets. Prophets faithfully did what God asked them to do. They weren't popular. They were misunderstood. They were persecuted, but they kept the faith. Remember Job. Job suffers. It's real. It hurts. It's hard. He loses everything, judged by his friends. Gets mad, gets real, gets raw. And God picks him up and rewards him and blesses him because he never cursed God. He never turned away. He took his emotions and his frustrations to God, but he didn't take them at God. <laughs> you know, we think if we don't get what we want right away, God has left us. But the truth is, he's probably doing his greatest work in you and preparing to do his greatest work through you in the midst of the suffering and the waiting that you're going through. So don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. He's good for it. He really is. I can tell you from personal experience, he really is. He's got you. He hasn't gone anywhere. And ultimately, there's a reward that outshines everything we could hope for in this world. Waiting. And then in verse 12, he says this. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Now, this has nothing to do with curse words. Um, that's not the swearing that he says, like, I, I swear to God. I swear this, you know. So, so back then they would make, in, in, in the time of Christ, and this is, you know, close to that time, they would make oaths. It was a, a binding oath. I swear by God or I swear by the temple or I swear by the gold in the temple. Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 5. 
And see, what they would do is they had certain things that if they swore by this, they were bound to keep it. But if they swore by this, it was kind of like crossing your fingers and going, I swear I'll do it. And what Jesus was saying and what James is saying is, don't cross your fingers. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Quit trying to take advantage of other people. Live lives of outrageous integrity. And that's point six. Live a life of extreme integrity as you wait. You're going to be tempted to cut corners. You're going to be tempted to do anything you can to make it stop. Don't. Don't. Do the right, next right thing. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Don't take advantage of people. Don't lie to people. Don't, don't cut corners in business. Don't, don't lie. When you're in a season of waiting and struggle and suffering, the temptation is to do whatever you can to make it stop. He says, don't cut it short. Let God handle it. Don't lie. Live a life of extreme integrity as you wait. And your reward is on the other side of the hard part. So do what is right. Remember the reward. Remember the harvest celebration. It's a big party. Be real with God. Don't walk away. And never give up. Never give up. And never give in. He will bring you through. You know, I've had seasons in my life. I think in some respect, this is true in the big picture, like eternity is waiting. That's the big reward. And we're going to have hard things through this life, right? But then we have seasons in this life where this was a really hard season. Anybody have a hard season? Yeah. I've had a couple. I can think of one, it was, it was all sur- surrounding working in the church and church ministry, and it was a really hard period of time, and it went on for a long, long time. And I was asking every, I had asked anybody I could, can you give me permission to quit, please? I just want to leave. Because it was hard. And um, in the midst of that, and it went on for years, almost a decade, in the midst of that, God told me to stay told me very clearly, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, very clearly, stay the course, stay where you are. And you know what? It got harder. Now, looking back, I can see that the good part's on the other side of the hard part. I can see that God is faithful. I can see what God did in me and how he, you know, back to James 1, Consider it pure joy because he's building in you what you need for the, I mean, it's, it's, it's all there. I mean, I can see it in my own story, my own life. But just because God told me to stay didn't mean that I had to stay. I could have left. It was my decision. And so for you this morning, as you struggle with whatever you're struggling with, or if you're not struggling with anything when you do, The decision is yours. But James would tell you, Jesus would tell you, our Heavenly Father who loves you so much would tell you, stay the course. I've got you. And there's a reward that outshines everything waiting for you in this life or the next. And it is so worth it. And you are in the right place. 
So stay the course. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to stay the course. God, I pray that you would help us to live differently than the world around us, to be able to navigate this world, Lord, with the concept of delayed gratification, with our eyes on the prize. Lord, I thank you that there's so much blessing in this life and in this world, that it's not all heavy like this message, but this message is so important for us to understand. And so, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit right now? Lord, would you lift our eyes? I pray for those who are discouraged. Would you lift their heads? Because it gets hard sometimes. And we need you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.